The podcasting galaxy is in turmoil. So-called experts, equipped with Amazon basic mics, record and stream every thought to devices everywhere. Narrowly escaping another virtual conference, scholar rebels Cassie Brunel, Chris Moffat, and Lalitha Vasudevan race to a secret pop-and-play base where pop master Haney Yoon awaits the return of her long-lost co-host. This week on Pop and Play, we're live with a special Star Wars-themed episode. With a live audience and our guests Cassie, Chris, and Lalitha, we debate the best uses of the Force, unbox brand new Star Wars toys, and engage in a battle with a persistent drill that was surely sent by the Dark Lords of the Sith. Nathan and I quickly discovered, however, that we will never become full-fledged influencers, as our unboxing skills left much to be desired. Just saying, it's hard to make unboxing engaging without proper training and skills, so we'll spare you the details of our awkward unwrapping. But just know that Baby Yoda and Chewbacca are safe and sound in our homes. Hey, thank you everybody for being here with us. This is like really cool to, to see all of you, well, to see some of you, some of you are keeping your, your videos off. And today we have just, so lucky to have with us today, Lalitha, Chris, and Cassie. Uh, I'm excited. I'll let, I'll yeah, let you take sure. over. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Um, so I feel like a conversation between Nathan, Lalitha, and Chris, and Cassie and I was kind of like the impetus that started this whole journey for us. And so we thought it'd be really cool to bring them back to circle back into the conversation. And we feel like we had this conversation about play yeah. around the pandemic blues yep. and when it started getting when it started getting real for everybody yeah. um and it's such a weird experience now to come back full circle and now we're sort of trying to come out of the pandemic and think about play as well we're excited to bring this group together and now in this platform where we're really trying to merge our academic life with our public life right and so i think we kind of started this podcast with the idea that we wanted to be involved in public conversations across, right? Not just within each other, not just within ARA research spaces or other conferences or spaces that we know of, but how enriching and enlightening it would be to engage everybody else, right? And to have conversations around play. So maybe Cassie and Chris, do you want to just introduce yourselves really quick and tell us what you're up to, Cassie? Sure. So my name is Cassie Brownell, and I am an assistant professor at the University of Toronto in the Ontario Institute for Studies and Education. Very long name. Um, and I spend a lot of my time thinking about um, how kids are playing, how communities are playing, both with like analog materials, but also um, with digital materials and how pop culture is infused in that. Um, and I I'm really excited to be back with all of you. Some of my favorite players. <laughs> nice. And uh, so I am a, an alumni of Teachers College. I was there in philosophy and education. So shout out. I'm currently at the University of North Texas in the College of Visual Arts and Design, uh, teaching art, art, art education. And I'm very interested in the intersection of art and play um, and looking at how we can think about play as part of a part of an arts curriculum um, but also I'm, I'm very interested in uh, some early childhood play curriculum in China where I've been doing some research and so uh, I'm just sort of interested in the, the mix of things and how all these kinds of weird influences uh, bump into each other. We like to play games on pop and play and uh, we're gonna we're gonna kind of bounce around for some a couple of different kinds of games today I wanted to start though, just to kind of get us going, to ask a series of questions for each of you to respond to. So this is gonna, I'm gonna give you a scenario and um, uh, our guests, uh, Chris, Cassie, Lalitha, Haney, uh, I'm gonna give you a scenario and then I'm gonna give you three possible responses that you might have, reactions that you might have to that scenario, okay? Does everybody kind of understand how this game's gonna work here? Yeah. You got it. Okay, let's see if I can, if it's gonna work like I planned. <laughs> which it probably won't. But okay, <laughs> first scenario. You're getting dressed in the morning and you realize that you're all out of socks. Here are your three possible responses. First. <laughs> is it that one? Or. Hmm. Or. Okay, which response when you're trying to find, get ready for in the morning, you realize you're out of socks. Which response do you go with? Look, I feel like Cassie's ready. Three. 
three. <laughs> Just because totally. you might have forgotten. Yeah. Tell us why. Yeah. Um, I feel like the first one was like too long of a thought, and the second one was like a little too short and sad. But this one sounded like a little aggravated, but just enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyone else? Yeah, I gotta go with three too, because that was like the right amount of ah angst, but with hope built in. I feel like that's <laughs> what it's like angsty hope. I, I, I really, I feel you, Cassie. How people have described pop and play, angsty hope. <laughs> angsty, angsty hope. <laughs> I was going to say, I really felt like there was a little bit of a we in there. Like, oh, no socks. It's going to be a good day. <laughs> I like that. I like how you turn the, the scenario like around. It's, yeah. it's not all bad, right? Yeah, forget about the angsty. Just hope. Just hope. Just yeah, just hope. hope. Okay, okay. One might say a new hope, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely have to go with the first one because that's how I usually react to anything. Um, so I usually have a very long scream happening at the end of things. Oh, my husband Neil always makes fun of me because I do that a lot and then he thinks I'm just nothing's happening and so the one time something is happening he'll be sorry <laughs> I, I like the idea that the first part is actually you digging through your yeah, sock yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> 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 finally explode when you realize no socks no mm -hmm. socks Amazing work, you all. Uh, you, you really have embodied R2-D2 despite the fact that there's um, a, a power drill happening um, that's no doubt frightening R2-D2 <laughs> as we speak. Uh, but we want to move on to the next phase of our game. And, and I'm going to um, ask a series of questions to Cassie. Ooh. Tell everybody why Cassie is the one that's being picked on right now. Cassie, would you like to, to confess or shall I? Never have I ever seen Star Wars any of them, even the Mandalorian. For those of you, for those of you just um, listening to this on the podcast, I mean, there's like a huge crowd of people here and they're all booing, they're all <laughs> booing raucously. They're all pointing, it's like, ah, hiss, boo. It's, it's getting a little intense. I think that actually might be what the drill was for uh, in response. So what we thought, just, go ahead, sorry. Can I also just add, like, I really just never knew R2-D2 in the like little things I knew about him that he would have such different feelings that I could hear. So thanks for like really opening my eyes and ears to that. So so Cassie, um, uh, having confessed to us that she has not seen any of the Star Wars films, we thought it would be important to ask her some questions to sort of get a sense of what, what the idea of Star Wars must be like from somebody outside of Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And so um, we're gonna start with a couple questions to her and then we're gonna open this up to, to everyone else, okay? Um, finish this famous saying by Jedi Master Yoda. Do or do not. Oh my gosh, I really don't know. Do or do not? I really don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, do or do not. Don't know, really do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds smart, right? I uh, see people trying to help you out in the chat. Is this so a far. there is no try? Oh my goodness. Oh, do or do thing. not. There is no try. Amazing work. Well done. You, well done. Are you actually uh, a Star Wars aficionado? And you Seen just them all every I know. She's a, them. She's a hustler. She is gaming us. Yeah, she is. Wow. Impressive. She's um, trying to play us on Pop and Play. <laughs> play us on I Pop and Play. I have been friends with Amy for a while, so really. And spent a lot of time teaching at an all boys school where Star Wars was a thing. <laughs> Some of it seeps out eventually, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, uh, let's try one more question at you, Cassie, and then we'll sort of bounce around everybody else. Um, can you tell us, what is an Ewok? Um, a part, uh, an Ewok. Oh, those are the little furry guys. And there they have guns. The furry thing again. Furry guys <laughs> with guns. Furry guys. They're like... They have like kind of big eyes, like kind of raccoony, like in that they have like, aren't they like white and gray? Maybe they wear vests. They're like look like little sort of teddy bears, but like furrier. I mean, is that what an Ewok is? This is feeling really solid. Yeah. What I, what's great about it is yeah. I think you're right, but also the description <laughs> is so hilarious. It's a, it's an accurate description. Yes. But it's hilarious. It's a teddy bear that wears a vest. <laughs> and carries a gun. 
<laughs> and comes in all colors. With big eyes. With big eyes. <laughs> big raccoon eyes. That is that is extremely accurate. If hilarious and ridiculous. That and a mean thing. face. Don't they have like mean faces? Oh. Yeah. No, like deceptively nice. cute, but when you look closely at them, I, I agree with you. Like you want them to have more of a cuteness to mm. them, but they're kind maybe, of like. Maybe that's. I don't know if they're on the good or the bad side. Oh. Slash, is there a good and bad side in Star Wars? Mike, but... they try to eat people. <laughs> they do actually try to eat people. That's true. They do try to cook and eat people. Yeah, yeah. So they do it in a very hilarious way. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> it's so cute. <laughs> it's adorable how it's they cute. try to eat people. Uh, so the question is, are they on the good side or the bad side? That That is an open question, I suppose, right? <laughs> now that we know that they also like to eat people. Um, Amazing. So good. Uh, so... <laughs> accurate in your ability to sort of describe Star Wars from the outside, not having seen them, or maybe you've actually seen all of them and you've seen yeah. them all multiple times and you're just pretending. That also seems like a possibility here. Um, I want to open this up, though. As much fun as it is to sort of see, you know, what Cassie gets and what Cassie doesn't, <laughs> I want to open this up. And I want to open this, first of all, to our, our guests. But if anyone in the audience has a particular answer to this, they'd like to, to chime in with as well. I'd love to hear your thoughts, too. And this is a question I've thought a lot about uh, personally. So I'll give the question, I'll give you my answer, and then I'll see what you guys think. If you had the Force, you now have the powers of the Force. Those of you guys who've seen the movie know there's all sorts, it comes in all sorts of different forms, uh, the Force. If you had the Force, what would you use it on? What would be your primary use of the Force? My own, and I'm, I'm not joking here, I've thought about this a great deal, and I'm certain that, to me, the most important use of the Force would be, you know, if you see street-side parking, you see all the cars parked, and there'll be, like, these really big gaps between cars. My primary use of the Force would be to move the cars closer using my, my Force powers so that you could, you could, more people could park there. I think that would be, like, a really important service uh, to, to all of um, the galaxy. You well, know? tell the audience why parking is such a big deal to you in this well, space. Well, I don't even have a car anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this answer perhaps a little weirder, but <laughs> as somebody who used to have a car and uh, would frequently drive in circles, you know, around and around blocks in Chicago to try to find one spot that I could really mm. fit my car into, I often would be like, man, if I could just... Mm -hmm. Boom. Mm -hmm. That's the sound of the force, by the mm -hmm. way. Um, then I, then that, I think that would be a really important use of it. Of it. So that's that's my use. Uh, others, how would you use the force if you could? Yeah, Cassie, Chris, what are you thinking? You know, you could also, uh, for those of you, you know, for Cassie, maybe you don't know, you can use suggestion <laughs> powers. You can make people to think things that you want them to think. <laughs> you can also electrocute them if you need to, if that's what you're into. You can lift things. It's true. You can. What else? How would you guys use the force? Well, I like Yoda's stylistic use of it. He's like very cool about it, right? Mm -hmm. Like he's not putting his whole effort into it. He's just like, here, let me lift a spaceship with my finger. And I like the coolness of that kind of like massive change with minimum effort. Right. I have also had a similar thought. I've never owned a car, but I've had the similar thought of like just walking by streets and being like, zoop, 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 zoop. Um, <laughs> clearly my, my version of the force sounds a little different. I, but I, I don't know what I would use it for now. I, gotta, I have to ponder that a little bit more. But I do like the kind of style. I, I would stylistically, I think I would be very minimalist in my gesture of the use Pretty of the force. Pretty chill with your force. Calm and chill, that definitely describes you. So let's <laughs> see why you would want to okay. use that as okay. the force. Okay. That does Mine's not like describe very me. like time dependent. Yours is time that, dependent, Cassie? I think so. In terms of like if I can use the power of suggestion, I would suggest a lot of meetings ended early or were emails. <laughs> Or that people just realize. You don't want to send that email. People, people just realize like they don't actually even need to send the email. Things are fine. Just, oh. <laughs> this is really That's, tapping into sort of the moment we're in. <laughs> yeah. You're really using the force. Very current. Right? <laughs> you won't unmute to ask that dumb question. <laughs> <laughs> I like, uh, you know, Angelica also suggested that she might just use the force to move the laundry from uh, one room uh, downstairs a few floors. I think that seems like a, um, or she said, she suggested she might actually just 
make somebody else do it for her using um, mind control. Sounds oh, pretty great definitely. Too. I could see that one. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely have the force maybe put the duvet cover on my bed so that I don't have to mess with that. <laughs> so that would definitely be a number one. But right mm -hmm. now, I think I would use the force to get rid of that drilling sound in the background. <laughs> force, <laughs> Just saying. Force, force push the guy right off the couch. Lolita, use subtle gestures. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it didn't work. No, it didn't. I'm trying to convince them to do something different. <laughs> yes. Well, first of all, I'm not sure even the force can handle a duvet cover. That's true. Um, but I remember, I just, I remember, I just flashed back to this moment where I was working with this kid who was super into Star Wars, and I, I, I kind of pissed him off a little bit, and I could see that he was trying to make me go away. He was really, he, he was not joking. He was like, "I'm going to get this thing to work finally." Uh, yeah. So. Uh, what were you uh, think, what were you doing to bother him? I was poking him or something. No. <laughs> I was just asking him questions. Yeah. I I'm asking cuz it I've seen that happen. I I have an N of 1 living with me um who is 7. Um that sounds weird. I have a kid. She's <laughs> <That's> not normal. <laughs> it's an R2 Sorry, she's 7. But she has often tried to use the force on me. And usually it's to get me to either disappear or mm -hmm. like acquiesce to her, you know, whatever. Yeah. Or like you were saying, to just get her, get me to stop bothering her. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I'm that much of a bother, but I, I, I do poke her like literally and figuratively. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I, I wonder if that's it, Chris. Maybe I that's, should just stop yeah. doing that. This is the origin story of the force. Yeah. <laughs> somebody was poking somebody and they're like, oh my God, I can make them go away. That sounds awesome. That was fun. That was a fun game. We like to spend a lot of our time just playing games, <laughs> as you can tell. Um, we also like to talk about play. We do. Um, so I think I'm just going to pose one question to the group, and it's really just a conversation amongst us. Um, so how has work play changed in the pandemic for you? And what have you Hmm. maybe uncovered about yourself that you didn't know. Yeah, go for it, Cassie. I, I feel like you're I, ready to jump in. I was like pointing over to Chris, but I guess now I've been called <laughs> out, so I will go. <laughs> we can edit that. The force. Um, yeah, I think that uh, anyone who has talked to me since January knows that I've been getting to hang out in this like after-school program Um it's called Be Loud Studios in New Orleans. And so they do like, um, it's a kid radio sort of thing. Um, and so every Monday there's like this group of kids like hops on. And then on Tuesdays they have like an open studio session. And my two, two of my favorite DJs, not my two favorite, two of my favorite um, DJs are uh, DJ Gossip and DJ Storm. And so they're like, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh graders. Um, and they show up every week and like, I just like learned so much from DJ Gossip about like what's his favorite music right now. He's the reason I bought Disney Plus because all he did was talk about WandaVision. Um, he would like incorporate music from WandaVision and was just like, you know, I think like paying attention to like pop culture, but like learning so much from him and like having him push me to do things that like I wasn't doing in the time of the pandemic yet. Um, and then there's a DJ Storm is super cool in that he like creates super awesome beats um, by just like uh, looping things and then like looping things with loops. And um, it's super fun and super cool to listen to. Um, and so I think for me, like I've been thinking a lot about like, the ways that like this space created a community for kids that weren't finding it um, during the time of the pandemic. Um, but a lot of the kids, like many kids in places all over, like haven't actually had the chance to hang out face to face. Um, and so they've recently had some field trips where they've gone to different um, see different artists or be in a garden or be outside. Um, and I haven't been there for those, but I am going to go to their camp this summer. So I'm excited. Um, but I think like listening to these two like you know, middle grades kids just like engaging in play in different ways and like spending their time and like honing different sorts of skills than they otherwise may have um, has been really fun. So I've been been learning from them and thinking with them a lot. What new artists have you been interested in? And now that you've spent time with these illustrious DJs, I also I watched um, assembling like the Marvel Universe <laughs> yesterday. 
and the first episode's about WandaVision. And so they talk to the people who did the theme song for each of the shows. And, like, that was super cool. Um, so now I need to, like, go back and re-listen to, like, what clips he chose. Like, what WandaVision theme song, like, resonated the most with him, I think, is a really interesting sort of question. And, like, why? Well, one of the things that's so cool about that, I mean, you know, I, I think everyone knows this. But it's worth talking about for this particular podcast, right? Is It's not just... Knowing about Star Wars or, or knowing about Marvel, it's not like just knowing information. It's not just, yeah, I, read, yeah, yeah. I read some comics and now I know who that character is. And it, it's it's sort of about the kind of a culture that you've, you've mm. either engage yourself deeply in or you get to step into or you get to observe from the peripheries, right? Can I, can I just add something to that too? Like, I think it, it also makes me think that it's not just about how do we how do we form up and then play within communities, but like what's the play across communities? Um, especially sort of generationally, right? It's like like the music you listen to versus the music some other generation li listens to. And I think a lot of the play is actually not in knowing all the same things, but actually knowing them differently or not knowing all the same things. I mean, look at my, how, how much fun it is here just to, to kind of play with that, that idea of not knowing. Which reminds me actually back to Star Wars and this kid who tried to make me go away. I was actually, so I was working with him uh, in movement education. So it was a lot of hands-on work and he loved to talk and, and was never quiet so as I was working with him in movement we would just have this constant running conversation but I was focusing on other things so I would try to like minimally keep the conversation going while we were working and he was into super into Star Wars for a period and so uh, once I was I was holding his head and moving it really slowly and you know uh, meditatively and he's like uh, so who's your favorite Star Wars character and I was like I don't know uh, Luke Skywalker and he said who's Luke Skywalker and I like froze <laughs> I was like what did you just say? <laughs> and all of a sudden I was like right in the conversation, right? Like I had been just kind of turning along and then I was like, what just happened? And it was really fascinating. We spent like the next like three weeks unpacking, like, wait, what do you know? It's like, do you know this? Do you like, and uh, so I think it's just really interesting to think about those, also those moments of play between, between knowings. Well, it's like play as rupture, but also play as like, um, like refabricating. Right. And, and, I'm I'm going to introduce a um, an idea, and I'm I'm looking at you, Chris, because you did graduate from our philosophy and education program. So this might be a total <laughs> bastardization of what this text is meant to do. But when you were just talking, I was reminded of that essay by Italo Calvino about revisiting the classics, and he talks about how you know you you the classics aren't just one canon, right? Like, but it. You can have the classics, but then every time you revisit them, you engage in a different relationship with them. Mm -hmm. And what's classic to you changes over time. And I was thinking about that as you were talking about um, not only the, the bringing together and moving across communities and that kind of like remixing and bricolage that happens when you move in and out of communities, but also sort of how, you know, I, I think of something that Haney talked about either a few episodes ago or during that original conversation when you said you were newly introduced to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles through these kids and then went down this rabbit hole. You knew of them, but then you went down. And maybe it wasn't a classic for you before, but now the classic, you know, it's, it's sort of become this classic in your mm -hmm. research. Um, have you all seen the, the toys that made us? Yes. Uh, I watched one episode of it, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles one. Yeah, because they... I was like, Haney, you have to watch this, I hope. Um, but I think that that's like a really, to me, that like kind of showcases what you're talking about, Lolita, of like how do these like communities change and shift over time and like what are classics? Um, because like I loved My Little Pony as a kid, but like I wasn't the first generation of My Little Pony and like My Little Pony like shifted greatly to like when I was hanging out with kids and they were into it when I was like an educator and then in grad school versus like what it looks like now. And I think that the understandings of like, what's at the heart of it? Like, how does that get sustained or not by like companies, production companies or toy companies um, or like the community itself, I think is a really interesting sort of thing to be thinking about. I'm thinking of the last episode where there was so much conversation about the market, the right? <laughs> <laughs> Mind melt, but like, right, like, and, and, yeah. and what shapes, um, <laughs> what shapes what you do, yeah. right? Which mm -hmm. is the, the most obvious silly way to put it, but. And, and how much of exposure, I think there was a, there was a comment Joe made earlier about how, how well Cassie answered those questions and how much of that has to do with 
just Star Wars in the universe. Well, that's like the power of pop culture, right? Is that mm. it's not just about the market and it's not just about objects or the baby Yoda that we might have just gotten, right? But that it shows how like people can collectively mobilize around something and then make it into a thing again. Yeah. Right? Like how I think Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was dormant for a little bit, right? And then there was a resurgence of it because people and young people children and you know even adults right would gather around and you know create some kind of momentum that kind of lets it become a thing again right and so I think that's the agency of people and being able to do that well I I was I was gonna ask I I wonder if if your question initially Haney about sort of where has play taken you this year Mm -hmm. um and we went on this really interesting journey with that and and I'm wondering is part of that also like not to overdo the space-time connection, but I think it's interesting to see like what people have tinkered with this year. Mm. And like, I mean, you have, I have been gifted with a copy of Haney's Zine, which is excellent. <laughs> Just putting that out there. Feel bad, Nathan. I'm, I'm Feel bad. out there that I have not <laughs> been gifted a copy of the Zine. I went and made more copies of it, okay? So don't worry. But it's, it's also coming. truly it's expensive coming. to be an artist. Chris probably knows. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Yeah, grant applications should be a lot simpler <laughs> to be able to access money for creative play. But I, but I, so I wonder about that too. Like whether, like whether part of this year has been a revisiting of old things. But I think Cassie, you were also sharing with us that you've entered a kind of new spaces because of the kind of like play that you engaged in. I was going to add. I think that the last time we all talked, I was talking about like the shifts of play in my neighborhood, because um, I think also like. I don't know, Toronto, we're still locked down. But, like, being locked down means that, like, these opportunities to go outside shift things. And so I think, like, watching the relationships, um, I sound like such a creep, but my apartment, like, looks over a street that's full of, like, younger families who now are outside all of the time with their kids who are playing together. Like, a lot of them are under, like, five or six. And then the parents are now talking. But there's also, like, basketball hoops both for kids and for adults, like, in the street in a way that, like, those sorts of relationships just weren't there um, in the time before COVID because people were like going about their days, seeing their friends in other parts of the city or like doing the various activities and things that they had like going on. Um, And so I think like how play opens up alternative like relationships um, again with like time, space, what is offered there. Well, I was, I was thinking, it's like, and back to Calvino in a way, like I was thinking about, uh, you know, the play that's going on in his work, Invisible Cities, and how much it's related to different conceptions of time and space and the, the sort of play that's available. Um, but then that's a set of sort of like little vignettes, right? It's like, how do you move from city to city is always a question, which is also in some sense, the, the question of Star Wars, right? It's like, in, in, and it's like, we just displace it in space, but every, every planet in Star Wars is actually something like a, like a micro city. It has its own microclimate, right? It doesn't, it's not like you either have the cold planet or the, the desert planet or, you know, the, the forest planet or whatever. And then the whole question becomes, how do you, who gets to say how and how and when you move between those? How do you partake or not when you when you move across these spaces? And I think when we get something like a pandemic, uh, the challenges are capacities to move at this scale as as sort of consumers of space. Then it then like as as the play of the world gets big, then then our play in some sense gets smaller and drives us back to the materials, right? Back to these these neighborhood spaces, to what do we have at hand? And then um, it, so it's an interesting kind of way of thinking about sort of the play that we're 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 finding now as a way to think differently about how we move through space, but also what counts as movement through space. Maybe I'll build on the space-time material continuum that we're having right now. And this is a question for Chris, so I knew I just interrupted you too. Um, (laughs) But I think the the theme that has been running through a lot of our podcasts is we started off with the idea of play and children's culture. And obviously a lot of it led to popular culture and hence the name Pop and Play, right? But I think one of the things that people have been mentioning is the space of art and creativity, Mm. right? As an imaginative, social, creative space to play, right? That we don't have to think about play as just games and toys. We don't have to think about play as pop culture figures and all the things that we play with. But 
we can also see play as like a social invention, right? And mm. a space of creativity. So I was wondering as someone who sits on the intersection of that, those things, right? About play and art and creativity, how have you seen, how have you seen your work going forward? And what are you excited about in that sense, in that intersection of space and material and time? Actually, we ran across a really fascinating, uh, just a little snippet of an article about this research that was thinking about objects as being the centers for uh, for uh, digital communication, rather than this, this kind of frontal face-to-face -face thing where we're all just staring at, at at our at our heads, which is very unusual. It doesn't, it, it never even happens this way in, in physical reality. And instead, they were thinking about a table as the as the grounding object, almost like a, a an object in common. I've been teaching a course on art appreciation and uh and you know going back to what i was saying before about how when you know when the world starts playing kind of kind of uh large like sometimes uh it's it's useful to kind of uh to go small with your play so i've been asking my students just to make circles uh or like just a, a semester of circles which is which is uh, like mind mind numbingly banal when you say it like I just we're just going to circle for a semester yeah. but it's amazing how just coming back to that very simple play over and over and over again with them adding in these tiny little permutations uh along the way uh gave us a sh kind of shared table but it wasn't a it wasn't a physical table it was actually our like we were establishing gestures in common in, um, and right now, actually, we're doing, uh, I just started uh, a, a course uh, in uh, Guangzhou Fine Art Academy with their uh, undergraduate art education students, all organized around the idea of walking as an artistic practice, uh, which, again, poses some interesting sort of translation challenges and, and digital challenges. But what we've been doing is, again, going small. So instead of some kind of elaborate conversation or something like that, it's like, can you design a, almost like a micro protocol for walking that you can hand off? to somebody like it requires very little bandwidth you just like a just a, a phrase or something and then they have to go and try it and explore it in their environment and then come back and 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 we can trade protocols that way somebody asked me something about um just to kind of reflect on this year and the impact it's had on children and i said you know i gotta say the people the group that i feel the most i feel for is the like 10 to 19 year olds because i think it's so much of being an early adolescent to later adolescent is about the shared experience that comes with that kind of um, the suggestion of a protocol, right? The coming together of spaces to allow the unpredictability mm -hmm. to explode in a way that certainly still happens with little kids, right? Like we, we have uh, under 10s. Still, <laughs> um, a maybe, maybe that's a right. <laughs> um, and they're, you know, like the the coming together around paper and and like the, just being able to come together has been so important. But I think about like there were a few pieces that have come out in the last few months about the toll the pandemic is taking on teens in particular, mm -hmm. and thinking about how much is happening and and what's the lingering impact of having your space, time, and materiality curtailed in such a drastic way? And what does the return to the openness of protocols, like you're saying, that are premised on the possibility of the unpredictability? Like what, what, how do you get people to get back into that, which is so natural for adolescents, but yet it's been removed from, um, removed from them this year. So I I, I, I keep coming back because the other piece of it, you know, I, I think we went here during our last um, uh, call like um, a year ago. And I'll, I'll, I think, unfortunately, the country has stayed here. And then we talked about dangerous play, right? Like we talked about how the play of some adolescents is seen as worthy of criminalizing to the point of, you know, having... Um, a range of reactions uh, leveraged against them, including fatal responses. And so that still exists in this broader zeitgeist of adolescence and play. And now we have pandemic. And so I think I, I, that's what I'm trying to really wrestle with too, because I think everything we're talking about, space and time and materiality, um, ha is gonna have implications for how we go back to school, how we go back to designing those spaces. And how are we going to hold these lessons, not only of kids play, but our need to play mm. when we go back to doing research again, when we go back to teaching in classrooms again, full time? Um, sorry to bring it way down, y'all. But yeah. it's, uh, it's I think I, I think that's that's why I think this conversation about holding play feels really important 
um, because it becomes too easy to be able to let it go, to let it be a slippage into a particular moment in time. Well, I think what's interesting about this moment, too, is that play and social relationships and mm. all of that is a lot less organized or structured yeah. because we don't have those organizing yeah. parameters around. And I'm thinking back to your circle repetition class, Chris, and I think we sometimes think that repetition or having structural organization is the opposite of play, right? right. Because we right. tend to think of play as flexible and free and without boundaries. And so that's the only way they can play. But I don't think that's yeah. necessarily at the other end of it is structure and organization and repetition, right? Because those things can be openings to mm -hmm. having some creative expression. And I think, Chris, you talked about that, right? Like, I just, I was imagining myself starting off drawing circles and how at the end of the semester, that's going to shift and change a lot, right? And some something about that organizing frame mm -hmm. has given me an opportunity to play, right? And think yeah. flexibly about it. And so I think all of that is really interesting to think about in this time, right? That we actually got a chance to see disorganized yeah. play and it wasn't always <laughs> yeah. helpful, no. right? And it wasn't always, um, you know, it wasn't always like a useful thing that, you know, didn't give utility to everybody. And so I think that's, yeah, you know, I think that idea is really a good point. And I'll further brings us to the idea that we cannot define play. No. Much as people want us to. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> not going to do it. Not today. Not today. I... I was thinking, uh, as you were talking about, like, adolescence, thinking about, like, what are the scripts for play, right? And so thinking about, like, the ties to pop culture in terms of, like, I don't know. I think people have talked about, like, watching television and seeing people not in masks and not distanced and, like, how disruptive that is. But, like, thinking about, like, what are the scripts for, like, moving out of this phase or, like, how do we play in this phase? And not to say that we have to rely on those, but I think that those, like, guided initial ways that people were playing and connecting with others at the start of the pandemic and like I don't know like in the chat Lucius commented about like walking and I think like outdoor play like how how has that shifted I mean I don't know about you all but like in Toronto like it was impossible to find bikes or camping gear or kayaks because people were engaging in like very embodied actions outside of their homes um, in different ways last summer and so I'm interested to see like is that something that will continue? Like, does everyone already own bikes now? So we don't need bikes anymore. Um, or will people be like maybe vaccinated and ready to travel? And so that looks really different too. That is interesting. Like when people were, I mean, you also got a sense of what was happening when there were like runs on things in the stores, <laughs> right? Like I remember trying to find yeast or flour in like March yeah, and everybody April. Everybody was baking. Right, Exactly. <laughs> I just wanted to get it because it wasn't there. <laughs> just want what you can't have. I think that's a really interesting question, though, too, in terms of, like, are we as adults going to prioritize, like, our downtime and our play? But, like, are we going to put kids back into 18 organizations and sports and, like, after school clubs? Or, like, are we going to let them come home and hang out with the neighborhood kids? Um, or to come home and, you know, hop on a digital game with people from around the world? Like, Yeah. Well, and how are those things... Yeah. Um, not only not only will they change, but how how quickly um, will they? Like I often think about the fact that you know there's some things that are just likely to kind of stick around because we've sort of not just because we've got used to them, but because we we enjoy them. I mean, mm -hmm. I have a, a trivia night that I do with some friends that um, that live all over you know all over the world actually, and and we gather together on a Friday night. We do trivia together, and. Like we're still doing it. We've been mm -hmm. doing it for now almost a year, almost every single week. And that's pretty crazy, right? Mm -hmm. And and maybe we'll keep doing that because it's a chance for us to hang out and see each other, even though um, maybe there's other things we might be able to do eventually on a Friday night. But uh, how quickly are they going to change? Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, if it's Star Wars trivia, though, like you'll be there every time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I, I wonder if the question is not what's going to get carried over, but like, have we been have we been changed? Mm -hmm. Like what's, you know, have we been changed in a way that we are not going to necessarily go back, but we move forward with what carrying what. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think that that's an interesting thing to kind of ponder mm -hmm. as well. Like I, yeah, like the, I mean, I, yeah, go ahead, Chris. Sorry. 
Well, sorry to cut you off. I, I was just thinking, like, it, it does, in my mind, still come back to the materiality, too, which is, like, it's it's not enough for us to be changed internally, and that's going to be the thing that carries us through. But also, what in our structures around us has already been changed or is, is available for play that we didn't realize, right? And so I think that's going to be one of the real challenges, just as we've had to figure out, okay, how to make do with the materials around our house or in our neighborhood. Then it's like, as we move back into these, uh, you know, institutional and material structures, what's there and what can we do with it? And what can we do with it differently? Because if, if, if we can't find that, then no matter how much we feel like we've been transformed, then there's just not a lot of support for, for, for play, for like continuing the, the question of play. Right. So I think, you know, one of the interesting, you know, questions of play is how do we keep this going? Right. It's like, how do you get it started? And then once it started, like what, like, what do you do to make sure that the play continues? Right. And uh, it's not always, it's not always obvious. Uh, so you have to really kind of keep asking that question as you go. And especially as you move into different uh, circumstances, like, what does this look like now? Okay. What about now? But can we take lessons from kids? Like, I'm just thinking about like kids show up at recess, right? The bell rings, it ends. And then the next recess, they're out there and they're just like pick up right where they left yeah, off. That's true. Like nothing has happened in the last four hours. <laughs> and here I am ready to go to, with this like fort we're building or like this. Who was it? Who was frozen? Right. Oh, man. I would <laughs> love to be able to details. do that. I would love to be able to pick that up. Wouldn't that be great just to sort of be able to like jump right back where you left off? And... Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I think I'm going to be a bundle of awkwardness for for the first three or four months since then. But um, I wish I could just be like, oh yeah, no, I'm, boom, right back where we were. I just I, I'm conscious of the time, and I want to make sure people yeah. can hang around for us to to talk about the stuff we're encountering and exploring. So, you know, uh, well, we'll each answer. But I wonder if you know Chris or Cassie, um, if either of you want to start us out with what's been popping for you. I came prepared in that I wore this really cool hoodie that I just did an ice tie-dye on. So if you can't see it, just follow me on my Instagram. I'm just kidding. Um, ice tie-dye. So, okay, popping for me. The whole pandemic, I've, like, taken back up baking as such. I follow Joy the Baker, otherwise known for Drake on a Cake at the Nola Bake House. She recently posted a hoodie that she bought from a woman who lives in Astoria who lost her job in the pandemic and started ice tie-dyeing which she now does for a living. And I, I went down a long rabbit hole a week ago because I messed up some tie-dye I did with my friend, John Wargo, shout out. And uh, I was like, oh my God, ice dyeing is so cool. Um, and I like to tie-dye, but ice dyeing is like, uh, you have to do like a soda ash wash on the material. Chris probably like knows all this. He's, he's gonna like check and see if I do it right as an artist. I'm just kidding. Do you do textiles? <laughs> So you do like a soda ash wash and then you like cover it with ice on like a cookie tray or a baking sheet or something where the water can melt over a bin because it's going to get filled with dye. So like Tupperware or something like that. And then um, you cover it with like the powdered procyon. I don't know how to say it. Dye. And um, you let it sit for 24 hours. And then it like the ice dye is different because like when you have the powdered dye like I use teal and pink but like my sweatshirt has like purple and pink and green and like kind of a black color and so yeah so ice dye is very hot and you've also seen a lot of tie-dye probably in the world of like dresses at Target so just saying ice dye that's what's popping for me besides Marvel which we already talked about <laughs> And uh, I, actually, what I heard you say is what's popping is your Instagram. Feed. That's right. That's right. Thank you very much. Follow show notes. What, what's popping for you, Lolita? Um, I also came prepared. And I'm going to give two really quick ones. One is going to go back to, I'm, gonna, I'm doubling down, tripling down on my Instagram Reels obsession. And I will say one thing specifically I have gotten really obsessed with, actually two things. One is food reels where people give you a 60 second overview of how to make like this elaborate cake. Um, I've tried none of them, but I think they're all amazing looking. <laughs> and then the second thing is like when um, people people are post, post uh, posting the harmony parts of songs and then other people are 
doing the melody oh, cool. and they're posting those. I think they're amazing. So that's one. And then my second one is the Great British Pottery Throwdown. Whoa. Just okay. recently was taught that this was a thing. Um, there's a crying judge. <laughs> there is <laughs> a lot of interesting metaphors. Um, there is a lot of uh, a lot that I didn't know about pottery, which you know really started out at zero. Um, and then I recently learned this technique of raku, which apparently is fire, uh, something ice firing, ice firing or something. Anyway, those those are my poppins. Like Instagram reels and oh no, I'm not going to make anything. I'm just going to. I can send you my favorite episodes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That that's my popping. Chris, how about you? Well, uh, so I did not come prepared. Uh, <clears throat> I think, um, which is in, totally in character for me. I think, like, it, like it. Uh, I guess one of the things I've noticed is like I love to just uh, start random things, and like I love the beginning of some something, and then after I kind of like get a sense of like how it works, I'm like, okay, cool. What's the next? What's the next thing? And so I just accumulate random random uh practices so i've been i don't know like i decided i was going to learn to play the guitar uh, like sleight of hand we're doing like permaculture in our yard like all these things and and i also but i i think one of the things that um that i learned because i've been doing this my entire life it's it's chronic uh, and, and probably probably uh, lethal at some point. Um, but uh, one of the things I learned over the last year, though, is like what like is that there's something about it as a practice that I find very interesting. So I've been sort of having a meta exploration of these things, uh, which has been really kind of interesting. Like why? Like how do I approach it? Why am I interested in it? Like how do I how do I get deep into something? I love kind of diving in the deep end and trying to like sort of construct an understanding of something. Um, and that I think has brought me kind of full circle back to, uh, back to my movement practices. So I you know, worked as a Feldenkrais practitioner, uh, movement education. Uh, and, uh, and so I've been just sort of re-exploring that, um, uh, like having had some, some time uh, to let it kind of sit and percolate. And it's been really interesting how coming back to it, like my understanding of the, the, the sort of workings of it and uh, the practice of it has really changed. So I guess it kind of comes back also to what I was saying about sort of micro, like, uh, like micro play and these sort of tiny little expressions. I think like I've been really interested in just the like diving into the subtleties of things. I like that. Like subtlety is popping. Subtlety is popping. Subtlety popping. Oh yeah. Haney, what's yeah. popping for you? I did not come prepared, but as <laughs> I'm looking at Chris and Tran, I'm going to just mention something that they got me into, which is in and of itself on Hulu. Which I'm not even going to say that much about it. It's amazing. It is literally. I mean, it's just about being seen, and it's also about sleight of hand. It's also about magic. It's also about like who we are, identity, all of the good things. And I watched it twice. Wow! I recommend the first time you just watch it. Second time you should take notes. In a, what's it what is it? In and of itself, Nathan, what's popping for you? Well, is it a video game? <laughs> Lightsabers, Star Wars. Let me tell you what's popping. Um, Star Wars is popping. That's what this podcast is all about. I just want to say Star Wars is still popping. And, uh, you know, I know that uh, a lot of people have reacted uh, to the, the newest trilogy of movies that came out over the past few years. And they're like, oh, I don't know. It's not very good. <laughs> or, oh, I kind of like it, but only some of them. And, and um, you know, I got in an argument with my friend the other day because he was like, well, let's be honest. You know, the last one was terrible. And, you know, it's probably the worst one there's ever been. And I was just like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? It is so delightful. Is it great? Is it one of the best films you've ever seen? No. No one ever claimed it would be. <laughs> but is it delightful? Yes, it's absolutely delightful. Star Wars is delightful. It is still popping. And I want to recommend, you know, in the spirit of, of multimodality here, which is a thing that we talk about a fair amount in this group, I want to recommend an article. Um, this is by the author Chuck Wendig, who, who actually wrote some of some Star Wars novels in between, you know, over the years, the series, uh, movies. And he has an article that after the, the last movie was called The Rise of Skywalker and people mm -hmm. saw it and they were like, ugh, mm -hmm. that, is that the one? And I saw it and I was like, well, 
I mean, it was fun, right? Mm -hmm. Didn't we have fun? There was like lightsabers. There was like lightning. There was like you know the Millennium Falcon Luke. and all that stuff. There was that was fun. And he wrote this great article that I thought really just kind of captured my feeling. And he called it um, "The Rise of Skywalker and How Star Wars Is Junk." And the, you know, I won't spoil it entirely. We'll put the the, the URL on, on the website. But but basically, the premise is that like junk is kind of it's got trash but it's it's not really good for you but it still can be a lot of fun it can still be delicious it can still you know be something that that we want to engage in and partake in and we don't have to pretend that it's somehow another high art mm -hmm. we can we can enjoy it we can love it we can play with it and so star wars you know on its worst day well maybe so not bad. there's some there's some really bad days <laughs> so maybe that's not popping but I think I think the, the most reason I think Star Wars is still popping in, and um, that's that's what I'm gonna say. All right, All right, well, we are way over time. Thank you so much to Chris and Cassie and Lolita for joining us today Thanks and for, for engaging in this conversation. It was a lot of fun, um, but a lot of questions and inquiries and thoughts to take with us. Um, and thank you to the audience who came today and for. Um, being in this space with us and listening and all of that. We really appreciate you, really appreciate you taking the time out to come and join yeah. us today. Um, so. Yeah, thank you, everybody. It's so fun to see you, so fun to hear from you. Um, I hope, you, hope you're enjoying the episodes and, and let us know uh, if there's any suggested guests for next season, which we're hoping to start soon. Yeah. So. Thank you, everyone. All right, everybody. Bye. Thanks for playing. <laughs> Thanks. Gotta get my Chewbacca mask on. <laughs> <laughs>Thanks to Jedi Masters, Cassie, Lolita, and Chris for joining us this week. This episode was edited by our resident droids, Jen Lee and Joe Rena Ferry. Thank you to Matt Vincent for designing our website and to Lucius Vanjo for curating resources and creating our episode pages. This episode marks our last for season one, and while we may be escaping to a galaxy far, far away for a much needed summer break, just like the Star Wars movie sagas, we'll be back soon, and with more play and brilliant guests. Until then, tell your friends to subscribe, and may the Force be with you. Pop and Play is produced by Haney Yoon, Lalitha Vasudevan, Joe Rena Ferry, and myself, Nathan Holbert, at Teachers College, Columbia University with the Digital Futures Institute. For a transcript and to learn more, visit tc.edu slash popandplay. Our music is selections from Leaf Eaters by Poddington Bear, used here under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial license. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.